Good morning. Today we begin a new series that will take us to the end of the year. It's called Being Human in a God-Shaped World. And that's a potentially huge undertaking. So firstly, what it's not. In just a few months, we can't present a whole anthropology of what it is to be human. And we probably can't capture all of what a God-shaped world entails, but we are going to take some snapshots. Secondly, what it is, is an exploration of story. The lived experience of ancient patriarchs from whom we get much wisdom, examples to follow as well as traps to avoid. We'll be looking at characters such as Adam and Eve, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Lot, Isaac, Jacob, Esau, Leah, Rachel, Judah, Tamar, Moses, and of course, Jesus. We'll enter their stories and pick out two things. What is the human part to this story? And what is God's? From this, we hope to get a glimpse of examples of where the human characters are in line with God's shaped world and see what lessons we can learn for our own walk with him. As I wrote to the preaching team, there's a sense of God's continuing story and unchanging nature as well as the nature of being human through the stories of God's people. So each week we will ask three questions. What does this tell us about human characters? What does it tell us about God and the world he intends for us? And what does that say to us in our walk with Jesus? Please pray for the preachers over the coming months. We need it. Today, we start the series by looking at creation and Adam and Eve story. Now, to start, there's a scene in The Incredibles where Mr. Incredible, the superhero, is saving the city from a bomber and master criminal. Buddy is a young fan. In fact, his number one fan. He idolises Mr. Incredible and crystallises his own identity on him. He has read all about him, and even though he has no superpowers himself, he makes his own man-made rocket boots so he can fly. Mr. Incredible gives him the brush off, seeing him as a distraction from his saving work. But Buddy is not to be put off so easily. In the midst of catching the criminal, Buddy, who has gate-crashed the scene, says to Mr. Incredible, can we talk? You always say to be true to yourself, but you never say which part of yourself to be true to. Well, I have finally figured out who I am. I am your ward. Incredible. It is the question of the age. Who am I? We will see from today's reading that in fact we might be asking the wrong question. Today's story is creation. It starts with these words, in the beginning, God. God was before creation. He is eternal. He has no beginning, no end. So before creation, before creatures were created, God was. To begin by talking about a God-shaped world, that is our essential background. Existence starts with God and without God, we do not exist. For the creature to ask, who am I, is the wrong question. 
The question is, who is he? Be true to yourself creates an idol, the self. And that is the God of this age, the self. We talk of self-reliance, self-expression, self-help, the selfie. And we see this unfold in the creation story right at the beginning of the Bible. Five days of creation, God creates a setting for his stewards, humanity. Then let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful, increase, fill and subdue the earth. And it was very good. An extract from chapter one, verses 26 to 31. God ordained humanity to look after all he had created. He created a partnership to be in relationship with him. They walked naturally in the garden with God, we're told in chapter three, verse eight. Our reading today was an extract from the longer story we find in the first three chapters of Genesis, and it shows an abbreviated version of the creation story. However, it does provide more detail about the creation of humanity. Firstly, that man comes from earth that he was to steward over. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being in verse 7. His breath comes from God himself. The same word is used for breath and spirit. Earth and spirit. Humanity is rooted in creation and in God in a way that is unique. We are made in God's image. We therefore are called to be like him, to be true to him. Not to ourselves, for ourselves is his image, not one that we might create or one that we might have reflected on us by others, by society or by a man-made culture. Our reading continues from verse 15. God places Adam in the Garden of Eden and gives him one command. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, it, you will certainly die. The instruction could not be clearer. Do not eat from that one tree. You will die. Adam is then given the task of naming all the animals, for he was steward of them all. Not being good alone, God creates him a helper, a partner in the task set for him. And jointly, they will rule over creation in submission to them. And if Adam is rooted in the earth, then she, Eve, is rooted even more intimately in him. In some mysterious way, God makes them of the same material, such that Adam, the earth man, can say, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. It goes on in verse 24. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Joint and equal partners of one flesh, humanity, in the image of God, spirit breathed into them. Who am I? What is my true self to be true to? The answer is what God has made me 
what the spirit breath makes me, how he wants me. I am not my own, but his. And the importance of this creation narrative, they are as they should be, with one another in unity and with God. Verse 25, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. They felt no shame because they had nothing to be ashamed about. Their nakedness is a sign of their complete openness to each other and to God. Nothing to confess, nothing to repent of, for they were sinless. Nothing to separate them from God, and they could walk in the paradise garden with him, freely and without concern. They were truly free. But we know what happens next. The serpent, representing the lies of the enemy of God, casts doubt and introduces temptation. Did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of, uh, of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. The enemy's two big lies. God didn't say that. You can be God of your own destiny. Two temptations. Listen to and believe lies or want to take control. These are rebellion against God and they have a name, evil. Now we tend to think of evil as serial killers and despots, but actually the definition of evil is much broader than that. Any rebellion against God and his ways. If God is good, then anything not of him is evil. And for this evil, humanity in Adam and Eve was cast out from that perfect place they were no longer free. And we reap the hard harvest of their planting. As Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans 5, therefore just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. And in the following verses through to verse 19, he repeats this idea that because of the disobedience of one man, many were made sinners. As we grapple in this current culture for inclusive language, there is just one common descriptor for all of humanity. Romans again, verse 23 of chapter 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The universal condition of humanity is sinner. No one is exempt. No one is excluded. It is the ultimate inclusive phrase, all have fallen short. So the human shaped world is one of shame, expulsion from paradise, separation from God, a belief in lies not of God and a desire to be, to be God and usurp the creator. It's not a pretty picture. But the God shaped world is one where there is a perfect partnership where humanity jointly stewards his creation and is in perfect relationship with him and with one another, connected to the earth from which he came and to God via his spirit, which is in their lungs. No shame, only freedom. God's story is a continuing one of bridging the gap between the two. 
And we are in that story right now. God wants us in his story, the God-shaped world. And he knows that we're in the human broken world. And so we mustn't feel unworthy because of that story, because God is rescuing us. God spends the rest of the Bible narrative bringing us back to that perfect place. And God intervenes, of course, by sending his son, Jesus Christ. Romans again in chapter six, the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now that is good news, alive to God. Or as Paul pithily put it to the Corinthian church, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So our first characters, Adam and Eve, start off in obedience, but show us the dangers of temptation that leads to active rebellion against God. So how might we respond to this? Now, in a way, the rest of the Bible answers that question in many ways, and we could be here a very long time. So let's concentrate on one practical piece of advice, which is prayer. Specifically, the Lord's Prayer. Now, we have just completed Thy Kingdom Come for another year. The Lord's Prayer is recognised as the words Jesus taught us. But why these words when the disciples asked Jesus how to pray? Peter, in his first letter, knew the dangers that we all face in this world, living for God. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. But in chapter 3, Peter quotes Psalm 34. Whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil, their lips from deceitful speech. And they must, must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And the, his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. James wrote that we need to submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And Paul, of course, described a whole set of armour to protect us against the evil one and one weapon. Stand firm then with truth, righteousness, the gospel of peace, faith, salvation. And we hold the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And Jesus himself, we know, faced temptations of the evil one in the wilderness and he wielded the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Three times he was tempted and three times he said nothing other than God's word in each case from Deuteronomy. But here's the thing. Having faced temptation, what happened next? Well, according to Matthew's account, angels came and attended to him. Find that in Matthew 4, verse 11. The Greek word for attended here means ministered to or cared for. Jesus knew the cost of temptation and knew that it should be avoided. 
Paul's lexicon of spiritual battle continues in verse 18. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So Jesus tells the disciples how to pray in the words of what we call the Lord's Prayer. And in Matthew's Gospel, it's this in chapter 6. Our Father in heaven, so to the Father, hallowed be your name, who is to be hallowed, exalted, raised up and worshipped. Your kingdom come. So God's ways, not the ways of the broken world. Your will be done. Obedience, not rebellion on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven will come to earth in new creation, but now there is a difference between the two, but we pray for them to come together. Give us today our daily bread, provision, feeding, and relying on him. See the Exodus story about being fed in the wilderness. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Ask for forgiveness as we forgive, because through that it strengthens and repairs relationship, and it's only needed because of sin. And then the key verse for us today, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The whole of the Lord's Prayer sits within this opening creation fall narrative, praying for rescue. But this last bit is very practical. The concept of God leading us into temptation has caused concerns for people in recent years, including moves to translate the original differently. But let's see how this sits with our theme. So far, we've established the following, that Jesus knew temptation. Jesus was sinless. Jesus did not give in to temptation. He used a sword with the spirit to defeat it. He received the ministry of angels afterwards, and it's reasonable to assume that Jesus would not wish temptation on the disciples. Jesus knew, finally, that prayer works. So this final element of the prayer has got three elements. Lead us, not into temptation, and deliver us from evil, or the evil one. What if the emphasis we place on it is not what Jesus intended or what God hears when we say this prayer? In summary, we pray, hallow the Father, that heaven, that God's will and the kingdom will come to earth, that we will be reliant on him, that we will give and receive forgiveness, and therefore there will be repaired relationship as he repairs ours with him. And then... We're praying, lead us. We will follow you. But maybe the key bit is deliver us from evil. The positive petition, the positive thing we're asking for is to be delivered from evil. And therefore, if we're delivered from evil, will we not in temptation? That's the negative side. Don't take us there. Take us there. The key to the prayer is that the primary purpose is deliverance from evil and that is our prayer deliver us charles spurgeon preaching on this passage refers to the sacred self-distrust that leads us to pray not to face temptation the god of this age is self in which many trust 
and has almost been made sacred. But that is an idol. Spurgeon says, distrust the self. It is weak and vulnerable. Trust and make sacred God alone. Stand firm and the evil one will flee. Lord, help me to stand firm. Give me ears for truth, a reliance on you, submission to you and trust in you and an obedience to your commands. To rephrase, buddy, let me be true to you, not some idea I have of myself. Now, Paul identified the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The self, the God of our age, needs to be controlled by the Spirit. The ninth fruit is self-control. Because as image bearers of God, we identify with him alone. The man-made self, when controlled, manifests all these things. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness and gentleness. And that is the blueprint of creation. That is a God-shaped world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opening story in Genesis that shows us right from the very beginning your blueprint for creation. And we're sorry for the ways in which we mar that with the sin of the world. And we thank you that you are rescuing us and bringing us back to you. Help us in that image-bearing role, stewards of creation, becoming Christ-like as the Spirit works within us, and not to worship self, but give worship to you, for you are worth it. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.